0: Psalm chapter 3. I want you to know that today's psalm is very applicable to life. The first couple of psalms were more theological in concept. Uh, This is now more relating to the the theological concepts, truthfully, we saw in the first two psalms. If you were here for the first couple of psalms, Psalm chapter 1 describes the life of a follower of of the Lord as one who is like a tree planted by the streams, whose leaves never wither, they never fade. You're always bearing fruit. Even in times of winter, you know, we look at what winter looks like around us and we can't wait for spring, right? We're in like 10th winter now. And and we, we long for spring to see life again. And the description of a believer rooted in the Lord is that it's, it's a tree that never withers, it always bears fruit. And it directs us to God's word as that foundation to supply for us the, the sustainability in the Lord as we turn to him to see the truth of, of who he is. Beautiful description of, of the power of God's word and the, the joy of God's people as they bear fruit. The trick in your life if you don't bear fruit isn't to try harder at bearing fruit. The trick of life or the the purpose of life is is not to really address the fruit at all, but rather get to the root, which is Jesus. Now, you examine fruit to see if it's healthy, but if the fruit's not healthy, you don't try harder at making fruit. You you get deeper in Jesus. And and so Psalm chapter 1 is that, and Psalm chapter 2 reminds us of the kingship of who God is, the real identity of Jesus. Crazy, we're in Psalm chapter 2, which is before the coming of Jesus, and Psalm chapter 2 is all about Jesus. Jesus. But it shows the kingship of who Christ is. So those foundations of our life are important because in in that identity, we then live our lives. But Psalm chapter 3 kind of rises up as, as a real storybook to how life goes, that you have your belief, right? And then there is life. Uh, there's a, a, a poem that goes something like, uh, to dwell above with those we love, now that will be the glory. But to dwell below with those we know, now that's a different story, right? And so you can have your truth, but when you come face to face with the challenge, how do you respond? And that, that will determine where your faith really is. And so this journey that we're on with Jesus, none of us are perfect. I really wish I could read Psalm three and tell you, and I've done this just the better than anyone in life, right? But the truth is, it's messy, and when you read the Psalms, you see that the book of Psalms, it's teaching us how to worship the Lord, and most particularly in the mess of what life is. What does it mean to connect your heart in the adversity of what you experience day to day? It's one thing to say you follow God when it's easy, but where is your faith when it's difficult? Uh, Psalm chapter 3 presents the adversity in in, in relational strain. Meaning, have you ever had a close friend that wounded you? It's those kind of relationships that cut deep. And you know, I think Satan longs for moments like that. God is a God of, of unity, God is a God of reconciliation. Sin is about division, and Satan, therefore, is about division. Whatever he can do to disrupt your life, to, to discourage you, to deter you, to distract you, to isolate you, and that's what he longs for, because in those moments, he can pick you off. And so there are things that we go through in life that can wound us, and it seems, especially in relationship, the closer the relationship, those deeper, the deeper those wounds can go. And when you look at in Psalm chapter 3, the background to this psalm is got David in a place where he is feeling overwhelmed due to personal attacks. Um, David's wounds aren't just relational wounds, they're family wounds. Uh, In in 2 Samuel chapter 15, he tells the story of of his son Absalom. Actually, it starts a chapter before this, but his son Absalom um, leads the kingdom of Israel against David. Let me just read these few verses. It says in verse 13, Then the messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Abs- Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Uh, if you read the story of, uh, this should be Second Samuel, I don't know why I put Kings up there, but it should say Second Samuel. But if you read the story here in this, in this section of scripture, um, you'll see starting in verse 12, David has sinned. Um, at Nathan the prophet comes before David, confronts him. David confesses, writes Psalm 51, finds restoration in the Lord in that. Um, but for Absalom, I don't think that was enough. And so Absalom finds himself outside of, of the uh, castle where or, 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 or David rules and reigns, and, and people are coming from the city to talk to the king about matters that they're facing. And rather than let them come to the king, Absalom deters them and takes that position. And he starts to win the heart of the people and point people away from the king to him, to the point that he leads a revolt. And, and, you know, as you think about wounds in your own life and, and then you read the story of um, of Absalom and I sort of pitted this about to experiences you've had that have maybe rubbed you raw and now you look at this story. I, I can say for us, it's easy to look at Absalom in these moments and just hiss at his behavior and think how horrible is Absalom. But can I just tell you, I think it's easy to get to this point. Not... Maybe that sounds like a little bit of a leap for you, but just give me the moment to just explain. Um, The position of Absalom is easy to take in life because hurt people hurt people. And everyone feels justified in the way that they react to how people act towards them. Which unfortunately breeds further hate. Hurt people hurt people, and that's why it becomes easy to take a a position like Absalom. Now, now, most likely none of us are ever going to be before the king, right? Deterring all of the nation away from the king. But in whatever scenario of authority you might carry in this world, you can use that position to leverage in your favor and turn against other people. When you think about this type of description in the Old Testament, you call them Absalom-type people, the people that stay at the gate, that deter people from other people, that say bad things about them. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus didn't refer to them as Absaloms. What Jesus referred to them as is wolves. He said that in Matthew chapter 7 and, and Matthew chapter 10. He, he, not just call, he didn't just call them wolves. He called them wolves in sheep's clothing. It's an interesting way to think about this. But you know, The, the thing about wolves is that wolves never think they're wolves. Like, wolves don't walk around in the life around us and be like, hey guys, you probably should stay away from me. I am a wolf, right? <laughs> That's a, wolves never, th- never think that they're wolves. When you encounter a wolf, here's what a wolf thinks. They're just misunderstood sheep. That's dangerous. Now, maybe in your life you'll say, you know, I, I've never been a, a, a wolf, or I wouldn't describe myself a, a, as a wolf, but let me just ask you. Have you ever been more concerned with winning people to your side rather than Jesus's? Do you care more about what people think of you than Christ? If you ever walk in life with a position like that and and you're wounded, rest assured that what you will emulate will replicate the life of a wolf or Absalom. Now, When we read a psalm like this, and I just position this psalm written about Absalom, so the danger is to say, evil Absalom, we'll be over here with the good people. But I just want us to recognize when we read this psalm, there's always a risk within our own hearts to emulate that very behavior. So I don't say this like I just want to go out and attack somebody. Rather, what I would prefer to see in every soul, starting with mine, because guys, if I could just say, like at points in my life, when things get hard, it is difficult sometimes to bite your tongue. But can I remind you, it's rare to have to apologize for things you never say. I mean, take that to Facebook this week, please. You won't have to apologize for things you don't say. Are you more concerned with what people think of you or of Jesus? Remember Psalm 2? Jesus is king. And that's where Psalm 3 meets us. Psalm 3 is saying, okay, Absalom, he could have been wounded here. Maybe this is why he reacted this way. And David in Psalm 3 could say, okay, now I'm wounded and I'm king and it's about to go down, right? I think David knows this is a struggle in every human heart. Which is why not only does this psalm become about his life, but he writes this psalm so it can be applicable to all of our lives. And so with that, let me just read these these opening verses so you can see based on, on, second Samuel chapter 15, uh, how David then describes this circumstance. He says, Oh Lord, how many adverse uh, adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. You've been there, right? <laughs> you, you may, it may not, maybe someone has turned against you or hurt you in your life. And, and maybe truthfully, it's only been just a couple of people, but in those moments, because those wounds are deep, it feels like everybody, And so, and and in that world that you live in, it might be everybody, but many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. One of the worst feelings, alone, helpless. David is describing this verse one, many are against me. He's using this, this terminology in military terms. He's saying, I'm just one guy and an army is standing against me. And, and then in, in verse 2, when he's, he, he's describing this, this this ability of what people are leveraging over him, how he's feeling in these moments, alone and, and helpless. And, and, and they're saying in these moments, look, God can save almost anybody except for David. And then he ends Selah. Now there's a little bit of a... A debate over what this word, how this word exactly translates or what it represents. But uh, most people think that uh, this word you'll see often reflected throughout the Psalms, that this is a, pa- a moment of pause, maybe a transition for uh, some musical accompaniment that goes with the Psalms because the Psalms are songs that they would sing and worship as prayer before the Lord. But this is where David pauses and he's sort of saying to your heart here, now just reflect on this moment. And I think David knows the reason we reflect on this moment is because, or we can reflect on this moment is because we've all been here. And this is where this psalm becomes personal. How does this feel? How do you respond? The things that you say to your soul in this, this moment um, becomes a place of a faith moment. What do you trust in? The toxicity of those statements, is that, is that the words, the opinions of people that you allow to be spoken into your heart? Or do you exercise faith in another way? And and this is where David goes in in, in verse 3. He says this, but you. is this contrasting thought. Like, look, guys, pinnacle moment in our life when we face adversity and the way that our soul is tearing at us and how we feel. The way you respond determines where your faith rests, what you're made of. Like, is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 just an idea that you, you, you state with your mind? Or is it something you live out with your life? Where do you trust opinions of others and the truth of the Lord. He says this, but you. But you, O oh Lord, look, you can live in the pain of that moment or alternative, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. David gives this one truth. And he chooses to allow this truth to become the foundation for how he will move in this trouble. It's to say to you right now. If someone does something against you. Like you take the truth of Psalm 1. You take the truth of Psalm 2. You realize now you've got to walk in this world. And it's not always going to be roses. Making the decision right now. How you're going to respond. becomes significant in those moments. And so David Chooses the truth of this foundation in this moment to be the answer to his trouble. And the phrase that he uses here is incredible. He he says this, but you, O Lord, and the identification now of what he chooses to walk in, like, am I gonna take the opinions or the identity of God? But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Now, for us, that's a pretty cool term, like... (laughs) Like, if you're in trouble and you just want to make up a God that is something for you, like, that would be a good one, right? I'm going through hard stuff, but God is a shield. And But if God isn't really a shield, I mean, that's not going to matter much, right? But the term that David uses here, it would have been incredible for Israel. I know in, in our minds sometimes we don't always see the history behind a statement that's made. But for Israel in these moments, this, this phrase that David chooses is, is powerful. And when you see it, it, it becomes incredible for us. David in these moments, he's writing before Israel. They're aware of the challenges. He's talking about this psalm to engage them in worship, to provoke their hearts when they face adversity. And he says this, guys, you can walk in this but lord he is this and for israel this phrase had tremendous meaning this statement was what god told to abraham the first time it was used in scripture Remember God called Abraham and said through him he would uh, bless all nations, he would make his children as numerous as the sand. God brought a covenant with Abraham and God fulfilled this covenant with Abraham and he didn't have Abraham promise anything. That's Genesis 15. And when God identifies himself to Abraham before they make this covenant, look what God says of himself, Not, not someone else. Look what God says of himself. Do not fear Abraham, I am a shield. When David wrote those words in Psalm 3, this came back to the very identity of the Jewish people. This is where we started. We are children of Abraham. God was a shield to Abraham. God was a shield to David. David. But it didn't just end there. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is is Moses preaching his final message to Israel before he dies. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy has 34 chapters, right? But Deuteronomy chapter 34, Moses didn't write. But Deuteronomy chapter 33, the last chapter that Moses writes, the very last verse before he dies, what does he say to Israel? Israel, verse 29. God is is your shield. When David takes this phrase and connects it even to the book of Psalms, what he's saying to Israel is the consistency of who God has been can be experienced in our lives when we put our faith in him above the adversity that we go through. Those moments are faith moments that demonstrate in your heart what you truly trust in. And so David writing this in the psalm, he knew exactly what he was saying and he's trying to tie the heart of God's people to say, look, this isn't just me because I'm a king. This is everyone that belongs to the Lord. This is who God is for you. God is your shield. You can try to rise up and defend yourself. What David's saying, but I promise what God will do for you is far better than anything that you can do for yourself. Do you trust that? You will never walk in this psalm unless you believe that. Like David could have spent the rest of his life trying to go before everyone that disagreed with him and try to convince them otherwise. But for what? Just so in the end he looks great? And you know the likelihood of convincing someone else's heart that's against you? you got to let your character speak for itself. And so David, when he he writes this psalm, he's saying, look, guys, more than anything, what Satan wants you to do is just get distracted and start pursuing what other people think of you rather than live in what God says about you. If he can discourage you, if he can deter you, if he can distract you, that is what he would prefer but if you can just rest in the shield that is the Lord, and you can just move in that, far greater is your life in glorifying him than trying to please the opinions of other people. And so David, by identifying the shield, becomes important for us. And look, he doesn't just say that. Look, Look how personal verse 3 is, guys. Like all these people are saying this, but he says this, You are about me. You are a shield about me. David says, my glory and the lifter of my head. What he's choosing to make personal in this moment isn't the relationship to the people, but his relationship before his God. God, you are my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Now, David's not saying these moments is about his glory. What he's saying, rather, is the only reason he receives any glory at all is because the glory of God made known in his life. And that's why he's saying in this verse, God, you are the lifter of my head. And this description is incredible again, because this is a king, right? And in this phrase, he's actually describing God as the true king. And in David's day, what would happen is the king would hear cases of people in different positions. But if the king didn't agree with your case, he would come before you and put his foot on the back of your neck. But if he was for you, he would lift your head. Now David in these moments haven't, hasn't lived a perfect life. He's sinned before Israel. But Psalm 51, he confesses that before God and he comes before God and God reconciles him before him. So God's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your heart. And the humility of coming before this king, what does he see his God do? He le- lifts his head. God is for you. That truth is the pinnacle to this chapter do you believe that do you believe that what god would do for you is greater than what you could do for yourself because of that david choosing to to walk in that truth the um, this psalm this this um, this thought continues to be echoed throughout scripture i like, If it's any indication in our lives, just how much we struggle to live this out, like the rest of the Bible should be that indication. If I just, I mean, I just highlighted a few verses for us to even think about when it relates to now our relationship in light of what God God is uh, demonstrating before David in Psalm fifty one. This is the psalm that David wrote in the midst of his sin. He says this: "For you, God, do not delight in sacrifices; otherwise, I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings." The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Like we can look at these moments and be like, okay, it's great for David. What about me? I'm not King David, right? But David identifies something here that in our lives, sometimes we re- recognize we need God. And, and sometimes our tendency is to try to manipulate God. Like we show up with all these things to give to God, hoping that God is pleased with me. And he describes that in the beginning, like Israel, when they sinned or they saw a church, they would just go to church and they would do the church thing so that God would be happy with them. And and David starts off like, God's, God's primary interest in your life isn't just this sacrifice. You don't go up and just perform this religious work and think that that pleases God. What God wants is your heart. And when God has your heart, out of a love for him, you'll do things that glorify him in this world. But it doesn't start with you living religiously. It starts with you relationally before the Lord. And here's what you need to know in those moments when you feel broken, when you feel distant. God is closer to you than ever before. That's what Psalm 51 says. A broken and contrite heart. And let me just tell you, you could be the very reason you're there. It could be your fault that things blew up in your face. It could. That's what Psalm 51 is. It's David, it's his fault that he's in this moment. And how's God gonna embrace him? What's he gonna do? Just religiously start doing things and hoping, God, do you love me now? God, do you love me now? God, do you love me now? No, no. God loves you in your sin. That, and That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of the cross. Because there is hope for everybody. And that broken spirit, God wants to be the shield. And throughout the rest of scripture, it's like God's trying to convince us of that same truth because we all struggle with it. And look, Psalm fifty-five: Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow your righteous uh, allow the righteous to be shaken. Or in the New Testament, First Peter five seven: Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Do you know what the next verse says? Because your adversary, the devil, roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's Psalm three. Satan would love nothing more than to use the disunity to distract you, deter you, discourage you. But rather than walk in that, take the burden and say, God, you are my shield. David uses the rest of the psalm to to just discuss the fruit of that thought. He he says in, in Psalm chapter three, verse four and five, I was crying to the Lord with my voice and look, he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah, or Selah. He rests here. He, he could have rested in the statements of the others, the opinions of the people, but rather he finds himself resting in this truth. Has you ever responded in the flesh rather than in the spirit? And then try to come before God feels gross, doesn't it? I mean, you know you blew it. Now, I'll tell you, Psalm 51, verse 17, a broken spirit God receives, right? You don't have to apologize for the things you don't say. Rather, and the beauty of choosing Jesus is your shield. You go before the holy mountain with clean hands before your God. And David saying in the Psalm, look, I, I could have... Walked in repentance over just the filth that I, I created by, by hurt people, hurting people, but rather choosing, uh, choosing God as my shield. I came before His holy mountain. That opportunity to come before God's presence rather than listen to the opinions of, of people. And it says in verse 5 I lay down and slept, and I woke up for the Lord sustains me. How great is that? To know at the end of the day, you keep your integrity. And so what happens? Well, the rest of the world can show their rear end. But me, I can close my eyes at night. Why? Because I don't feel like I have to defend me. Jesus is my defender. And what he's going to do is far greater than anything I could do myself. I'm going to rest right here. So in verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 uh, of people who have set themselves uh, against me. I mean, could you imagine the alternative here? What are you going to live for? (laughs) The opinions of 10,000 people and try to please that or an audience of one who is the Lord. You you can put people on the pedestal and try to convince every person in the world about who who it is they think they should think that you are. Or you can stop asking everyone who they want you to be and start asking who God has declared you to be. You will never live for your purpose if opinions of people matter more than the truth of Jesus. You'll never live a healthy life if opinions of people guide you rather than Christ. I mean, could you imagine being King David in these moments? If he's, I, I couldn't even imagine having 10,000 opinions of me, right? I don't even want one, so keep it to yourself today, right? I, mean, I just wanna live for the Lord, man. Could you imagine being a king and trying to, just please the opinions of all of these people. He would have, and, and trying to do that, would have never done anything for God in his life because he was too concerned with everything else. And so he's showing these positions of, you know, 10,000 people he could please in his life or, or the Lord. How much easier it is in life just to say, you know, God, I, I want people to be happy. I want people to see the best in me, but... End of the day, what matters to me more is their opinion of you than their opinion of me. I'm just going to walk with integrity and let you take care of it. In verse six, or 7 and 8, I should say, Arise, O Lord, save me, O oh, my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek, and you have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people, Selah. Um, Arise, oh, rise, O Lord, and save me. It's David's request in this moment. Beautiful request. I don't think it's a bad thing just to say, God, I'm going through this hardship. I'm gonna live for your glory, but could you in these moments rescue? And he uses the example. He's saying, God, I've seen it before. You've smitten the enemies. you shattered their teeth. Now, I don't think God's literally come in and busted teeth out of people's mouths, but what he's saying is, to me, God, they've looked like a lion, and then I realized when they came in for the attack, you defanged them. They didn't have anything to sink their teeth into my flesh because you were for me. And I walked with you. He says, This salvation belongs to the Lord. God is your salvation. We are not our salvation. So, why does this psalm exist? This psalm isn't a psalm just of David's struggles. This is a song of David where we relate because we all face these battles. We need a regular reminder that Jesus is already that victory. In the midst of living out the truth that God proclaims of himself and our placing our faith in him, um, people can give us deep wounds. And Satan can use it. Um, You know, I know this morning I'm not saying anything profound, but the truth is, um, without these promises, without walking in faith in these promises, Satan can have his way in keeping you from living the beauty for which God has created you in him. To deter you, to discourage you, to distract you, to sideline you in any way. But to walk by faith, rather than opinion, David being this king could have, could have followed suit in that way. But what Jesus says about you is more important than what other people think of you. You're going to face adversity. Decide in your heart what will speak into your life. Pushed by opinions or lifted up by his presence. Jesus is that salvation. I think it's important in in all of our souls just to know the security of what it means to trust in Jesus. I mean, we saw last week in Psalm chapter two, hundreds of years before Jesus, the coming of this king declared. Why? Because God wants your faith to rest there. God wants you to see his authority above this world's authority. God wants you to see this king coming on a rescue mission for your soul. So that if God brings resolution tomorrow and reconciliation tomorrow to the adversity you face, or God brings it six months from now, or God brings it in the future, rest assured because he is king, God will bring it. God cares about every pain that you go through. God hates sin more than we hate sin. God cares about where your soul is. There is no pain that you will go through in life that God will not call to account. And God, it tells us in Scripture, works all things together for good. That's what the cross is all about. The shame of the cross and the death of Jesus on the cross, the most despised moment in all of history, becomes the symbol of our glory to say over your life too that same victory can be won if what? By faith you trust. By faith you walk. Can I encourage you this morning, if you've not ever trusted in Jesus, to see this goodness of this king that desires to be a shield over your life, and to say, God, I'm tired of fighting. I'm even fighting against you. I want you as my shield. You have come to rescue. Save me from my sins. Rescue me. Let me live for that glory. And for you as a believer, guys, to understand there will be adversity, but what God called us to is so much greater, and the promises that he gives are so much better than the promises that we can make for ourselves. Live by faith. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.